loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Chris Meyer. For the last 14 years, Chris has been a funeral home owner. In addition to learning many things about love, loss, and life, his entrepreneurial spirit drove him to create two other funeral homes from the ground up, teaching him so much about the loan process that he built www.magillaloans.com to empower borrowers. He has a Juris Doctorate and Master's in Environmental Law, magna cum laude, from Vermont Law School, and a BA in Politics and History from Brandeis University. He's been a licensed New York State attorney for over 24 years and also has experience in the film industry as both a filmmaker and writer. He's been married for over 18 years and enjoys coaching his sons in every every sport, and he's a member of the Kiwanis Club and Chamber of Commerce in his community. Uh, we're mostly today going to be talking about a, a book that came largely out of expe- his experience running funeral homes, Life in 20 Lessons. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you and, and talk about how... You know, being up against um, death, grief, uh, family experiences with loss um, sort of naturally gives us some life lessons, huh? Yes, it certainly does. And it, <laughs> it certainly has for me. It was, it's been quite a learning experience. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we're going to get into that. Absolutely. But I want to kind of begin at the beginning, because obviously, you've done a lot of different things in your life. And um, that's, uh, you know, I I like to say I've done a lot of things in my life, but um, I've only changed careers a few times, because in the line of work I'm in, it's different all the time. So, you know, I can stay with the same thing and do a lot of different things. But um, do you think that's part of your personality to kind of um, uh, look for change along the way previous to even the funeral home experience? Um, Are you just geared that way? Yeah, I think I am just, you know, that is my chemical makeup. And I, I am intrigued by um, the idea of never saying I can't do that. And I think that has been part of my life, uh, you know, from, from very early on. And I have been very fortunate to make a low budget movie. Um, I've written a book. I was a screenwriter. I've had a very eclectic and very cool life. Um, but, you know, it's not, it, it hasn't been always been the easiest. So, um, but it is, yes, I would say that is part of my chemical makeup. And so then you're, you're, as I understand it, you were looking around for a way to support your family. Uh, but that wouldn't lead most people to buy a funeral home. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the stock market or something, I don't know. Tell me that story. I certainly will. I was in, uh, I had been in Los Angeles for about 10 years, almost 11 years. And uh, my wife and I had our first child 
And I think looking into that young little boy's eyes and, and seeing him look up at me, that was sort of the, the grand awakening, so to speak. And basically saying that, hey, you know, you can't be an unemployed screenwriter with your wife working. This, it's time to go teach this little man how to, how to be a, a, a man. And in doing so, um, you know, my wife and I discussed, she said, I really want to be a mom. And I said, okay, well, I've, I've given it a good shot here. Let's, uh, let's decide what we want to do. And she had a friend of the family who had always been a mortician and always been saying to me, Chris, this is a wonderful business, um, very solid, recession proof. And lo and behold, that was my best option uh, after 11 years as a screenwriter. And uh, we moved up to Sacramento and luckily found a, a funeral home that was on the cusp of some financial difficulties and bought it. And, you know, I say it was all sort of happenstance, um, but having the child, having my son and going into the funeral business at the same time was sort of the greatest blessing in the world because it gave me the appreciation, A, to work hard for this little guy, but also to take the lessons that I was learning from the families and apply it to my own life with Miss Newborn. And I knew we wanted to have a couple more children. So that for me, this perfect confluence of purchasing a funeral home and having children was sort of the, the, this great revelation for me. Did you think at all about, I mean, you must not have been entirely uh, death averse, right? Uh, you must have been willing to, for instance, think about the fact that people die. Otherwise, <laughs> why would you feel comfortable getting into that business? Uh, yeah. I'm making an assumption there, yeah. but did you think at all about what that might be like to work with, actually, what you're mostly working with is grieving families, I right. think. Yeah, I, I had experienced death in my family from my grandfather, who was my best friend. So I did have a little bit of experience in that. But no, I had no grander illusion than the fact that I would be the businessman and the mortician would run the place. So I kind of always envisioned myself as the behind the scenes guy that would crunch the numbers, make sure we weren't over budget and be the business guy, literally not dealing at all with that, the families. And lo and behold, you know, as you're trying to get this thing off the ground, you know that you have to save money and people are money. And I was just, why can't I do this? So I stepped into the fire. And in stepping into the fire, I really got quite an education. And it was both enlightening, scary, uh, fun. But all in the back of my mind was that I have to do this for my children. I have to... I have, I have no other, there was no plan B, so to speak. So I, uh, I was thrown into the fire by necessity and um, I started to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I guess the other thing that stands out in your book is the ways in which you were moved by it. Yeah. Um, that actually, often I think when you're, dealing with people right after a death like that, or even an illness, um, sometimes people are wide open at that kind of moment. And that can be very moving to be around. 
Yes. 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 You, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they are, people are wide open because their vulnerabilities are at an all time low. They're exhausted. They're generally stressed. They have family coming into town. So you're seeing them at their most raw moment and they are very open to sharing, um, their, uh, their would have could have and should have with you. And, you know, being a younger man there, they saw that a lot of times to give me these, not warnings, I would say, but just advice to, and, and mostly about family and children. Chris, they're only young once, mm. you, you know, go be at every school thing, go coach them, go, go home at five o'clock. You know, the work will always be there. And I thought that for me was that was very, very enlightening. And, and that's what I really took from it. I think in the funeral industry, you know, a funeral director could could really start drinking at 1030 in the morning to dull in some of the pain, or he could go the other way and just be so appreciative of everything in, in life and even the smallest things. Um, I just chose the latter and that that's who I wanted to be. And it was great. It was really, it's been such a, such a journey for me. You know, one thing I was thinking of right, while reading it was um, how uh, at the point when, when my wife died, I, I felt like uh, I felt driven to do things yeah. that at other times might have uh, been beyond my bravery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking right now of the of the woman who had uh had you um dress her husband who'd been a clown in his clown right you know clothing yeah. uh, so that everyone who came up to view the body started laughing right I, that was incredible yeah and you know again that for me was was one of those rich moments because you know how I, a lot of people feel like oh clowns are kind of creepy and you know that but this was not the case at all this woman had obviously known the type of clown he was and how much he enjoyed it and she enjoyed it as well and probably all their all their friends and family knew for that sure. too yeah for sure yeah <laughs> because when we were sitting in there and they were approaching the casket you could see people start cracking up that you know he was in full clown makeup the polka dotted suit everything and you know it they were tears of joy because that was him that's who he was as a person and and i tell that story a lot um that i just wanted to be that type of funeral director that you know everything was open because we want those last moments with our family and friends to be that exact kind of moment. I'm not really so much into the funeral dirge. I'm into the celebration and that, that dash in between those two dates is the good stuff. Right. And you could clearly see in that chapel that everyone had thought about that as Mr. Jiggles was his name and how much they enjoyed him in his clown outfit. So yeah, that was a pretty special, special day. Well, and also, you know, you're a character in your own book. Uh, some funeral directors probably wouldn't want to do that. I'm recalling things that were incredibly important to me that I had to fight for. Um, 
not having my wife's body picked up right away. Um, yes. Following the following her to the crematorium. Yep. Uh, being in the room when she was was lit on fire. Those things were critically important, and they really helped my grief. That's and, interesting you say that. Yeah. Uh, because I felt I had I'd taken her all the way. Right. <laughs> uh, that might not be important to everybody, but for some reason it was to me. So if that had been disallowed, it would have been very hard, actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm thinking now of the woman who uh, wanted to sit with her daughter's body all night. There yeah. are many funeral homes that would not <laughs> want to leave this person, you know, for liability or whatever. But yeah. I am sure that that had to help her grief <laughs> to, to be yeah. able to do that. Yes. So we sh yeah. Let's just give a little backstory there, because that was an interesting situation where a woman came and lost her teenage daughter in a car accident and wanted to drive her around town with her friends one last time, which I didn't even know was legal and found out that it was okay. And so we honored that. But when she came back to the funeral home, you could see the friends had all left and she was still so very much in need. You know, this daughter to her was her everything as, as we can only imagine. And so um, I, I saw that she needed more time and, I went and worked in the back and I came back around seven o'clock and you could just, you know, sometimes you just look at people's eyes and you know, it's, it's not enough. And so I, I reached into my pocket and gave her the keys to the funeral home and, and we're in a relatively small town, but, uh, I just trusted her. I just, you know, just went on gut and she stayed all night and man, you can tell, you can tell how much she appreciated it. But the funny thing is, is that we talk about it and it sounds like you had a similar experience that you wanted to follow your wife all the way through that, that defining moment of this is the last time I'm going to see someone. That is one of the most difficult moments. And, and I could see this woman in my funeral home going through that and to be there and be part of that. How could you ever rush that? I just, I never felt comfortable being able to rush that. And yes, we all have time schedules and yes, you have to charge people for that. But I just, that just wasn't me. I wanted to be a little bit different and <clears throat> honor, let people honor how they grieved because it's so different how we all grieve. Yeah. And I have to say for me, uh, it wasn't a matter of needing to see her face one more time or any of that. It wasn't that in particular. It was that I, I felt a sense of responsibility to care for the body I'd loved. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, as if to be a steward to the end. To be a steward, yeah. To to make sure it was it was all carried out. Before we go to break, I'd love for you to read your first lesson, be thankful, the little the little bit of that. I think it's um very right you started with be thankful as one of your twenty lessons. Okay. Um because that one really helps us in all kinds of ways, doesn't it? it Would you share does. that before we go to break? I certainly will. So the chapter is Be Thankful, and it's the story of Patty. The front door opened at the funeral home. I, I, I'm sorry. Um, I, was, I was thinking you would maybe just share the, the little um, 
excerpt. Oh. Because the whole chapter will take us way past. <laughs> okay. Are we talking at the end or are we uh, just any excerpt? Um, let, me, let me read what you sent me. Oh, perfect. <laughs> when you spend time in the funeral industry, you could go one of two ways. Start drinking at 10.34 a.m. each day to dampen the demons of dealing with death or become thankful for even the smallest things in life. Oh. I chose the latter. Meeting with people in their time of need changed my world forever. It forced me to reflect on life and on the people in it and reminded me of what is truly important. The gift of working in the funeral industry can never be repaid. Think of the people who impact your life today and thank them. You will see that it makes you both feel good. Don't hold back because you think it might be awkward. Take the chance while they are alive to tell them what they've meant to you. I'm telling you firsthand, I've seen too many people at graveside services or in eulogies say, I wish I would have told them when they were alive. If only I had one more chance, just one more chance. This is it right here, right now. Tell them how you've, they've touched your life. You will remember that moment forever and feel thankful that you took the time after they were gone. Nothing bad comes from saying thank you. Yeah. You know, there's this... Um, uh, this idea that the things to say at the end of life are, are thank you. I forgive you. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, these, and, and I realized that with the people in my life, I, I don't actually need to do that. <laughs> you know, where I, I think they know I love them and I think they know I forgive them. So it, that's what you're kind of talking about. Keep that stuff cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> know so that so that um you don't have to wish you had yes for sure yeah that's exactly what it is great well we're gonna go to break now and we'll come back and talk more about your your uh lessons in just a few minutes Sounds and listeners, good. you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc., etc. Um, and there's also a link at the Good Grief page to my novel, An Ocean Between Them, if you'd be interested in reading about um, facing a life challenge and, and um, growing as a result. Of course, the book is about what the show is about. Uh, and to find Chris Meyer, you can go to chrismeyerauthor.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, 
stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Chris Meyer about his book, Life in 20 Lessons, and, and his experiences working in the funeral industry. And um, I liked ending the first segment on, on gratitude because um, I've found that that is the part of, of loss that, that grows for me. Uh, as time goes on, I feel more and more gratitude and less and less tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I know some people have that experience as well. <laughs> um, but I think if you're willing to grieve, it does lead in that direction. Eventually. Why did I, why did I grieve my wife? Because I was very grateful to have had her. Right. Uh I wanted more, of course. We we always want more, <laughs> right. but uh, you know, it it wasn't. Um, there was no problem except that bodies die. Yeah, uh, and that's something for to be grateful for. Yeah, I I it's harsh, right? I mean, death is harsh. <laughs> that's the the thing about it, and I always say that you know, your, your pain is genuinely commensurate with the amount you loved, right? That to me, um, my grandfather, how profoundly I loved this man and just enjoyed his company. And I hurt so deeply when he was gone. And I don't know if if this is the situation with you, but for me, he, he comes to me Um, certainly the gratitude is always there. I get that part, but he comes to me in times of, uh, I'm I'm almost going to sing the Beatles song here, but no, he comes to me when I'm in spaces in his places. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, for example, he was an outdoorsman and loved the outdoors. And when I go for walks early in the morning, there is a presence in amongst these trees that I'm walking around that I feel. And with the gratitude that I feel, I feel almost a, a, a an otherworldly presence sometimes. And I, I don't mean to get too like hoo-ha about it all, but because of how much he enjoyed going on walks with me as a child, 
just in parks. That was fun to him. That was a, that was an afternoon out. And then we'd go for an ice cream and those walks even alone to this day remind me of him. And And I know what you mean about it. Well, I guess I'd say my point of view is that relationships don't die. Bodies do. So, you know, whether, and I don't really care that I don't know exactly what I mean by that. Like, is there actually a presence is, or is uh, she and other people I've lost, are they just present in me because I knew them so well? Or, you know, to me, no difference in terms of my life. They are present in my life. Yeah. Still to this day. To this day. Forever. Yeah. That, you know, I don't want to get rid of that. That's a, that's a great thing. Yeah. Um, she's particularly good if I'm stuck at work. You know, I'm not sure what to do next. Yeah. I'll just say, what now? And I always get some kind of, of nice. guidance. <laughs> and, that's you so know, great. is that just me getting out of my own head and becoming more open? I don't know, but I don't really care. It works, you know, right. and, and helps me to feel connected. Yeah. Um, so I know what you're talking about there. And I think that's a good thing that we've been trained out of a little bit. We're supposed to find closure or something. Uh, but yeah, I don't like that word closure. I don't, mm, it, it, yeah. you know, <laughs> it almost... <laughs> It almost means there's some finality to it, but I agree with you. I like that sort of that ongoing, that they're always there. They're always guiding. They're part of us forever. Um, that to me seems like a, a, so much more uh, civilized and, and kind way to go through life. Less resi- less, less, less torture. <laughs> yeah, less torture. Less torture is good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think, I think we can agree. Yeah. Another- interesting to me about your book is that these 20 20 lessons have actually very little to do with death yeah Uh, you know just just to share them with the listeners be thankful make a difference avoid judgment respect others and yourself be vulnerable Get, get uncomfortable. That's a good one. Failure is the foundation. Love simply. Become a familionaire. I, I like that one a lot. Uh, instead of a financial millionaire, a, a millionaire of family. Make a few good friends. Be with self. Laugh. Enjoy food. Sweat, fiber, and water. Stop worrying about money. I, I'd like some clues on how to do that. Um, yeah, have, yeah. have faith or spirituality. Get them done, I think. <laughs> right. Embrace the elderly, elderly, exercise your mind, be resilient, and and dest. You can tell people what that stands for. Yes. It, uh, do epic stuff or insert your S word. <laughs> <laughs> Today, yeah. right? Today, exactly. So. That, uh-huh. it's just reach right do be epic be you know i the, you you talked about what i was that part of my chemical makeup and i think i credit my parents for you know what if what if i created a better breakfast cereal or what if i created a breathing apparatus on mars you know that what if is always part of my chemical makeup and is always in my personality. And then that is always followed by, you know, why not me? 
why not me? Why can't I be the guy that creates that, you know, or, or, or invents that? So I don't know where that came from. I think it's a uh, part of my entrepreneurial spirit that I, I grew up in a household when I watched my father build a business out of our home and I ate dinners that, that my mom would cook with uh, his coworkers every night. And that was pretty, that was pretty inspiring to watch that and to witness that and to be part of that. And I think that must be where it came from. Um, and yet it seems from the way you describe it, like those, those lessons uh, kind of deepened for you watching the ways that people can, can sort of go through life and not do those things. Well, because you would hear There's a sense story. of immediacy, isn't there? Yeah. Like, do it now. Don't just do it. Do it now. <laughs> because uh, the stories are so, were so rampant in the funeral home of, God, Chris, this guy, you know, he just retired and he had spent 35 years, you know, doing this job. And six months ago, you know, he was just retired. What, you know, that's not fair. That's not, you know, and... I would hear that a lot and I would see the, the children's deaths and knew that that was not fair or not the way it was supposed to be. So yeah, those things, you're exactly right. They just reinforced what I had already known and just helped me articulate them in a message. But yes, absolutely. Too many, we all hear those stories of, you know, I wish I, wish I did this or I would have, I could have. Don't let that be you. So there's a creative tension there because on the one hand, you know, prioritize your family, spend, go to the kids' games. Uh, love is the most important thing. And then uh, at the very same time, uh, a lot of our dreams require a great deal of effort. Yeah. Um, and so... It sounds as if you've been able for yourself to find some balance with those two things. I know I, I, I think about that a lot. You know, uh, if I'm if I'm continuing to work hard at this point in my life, doing things I love and want to do, I can't fly to see my grandkids quite as much. And I can, you know, it's right. it's a it's a real creative tension. You got any words of wisdom about that? I don't really have words of wisdom. I just feel like there's plenty of time in the day that we can do the things that we want to do. I think us as humans themselves waste a lot of time. And I think we can be a little bit more efficient with our time. But I, I would just say default to the family in all instances. And if you wanted to be creative, maybe bring in the family, try to get them involved in your creativity. Those are the kind of things that sort of the killing of two birds with one stone to kind of mm -hmm. see if you can work that together. That would be my advice. I mean, but it is challenging. You're exactly right. There's, there's just, there is a little bit of a disconnect between being that creative being and being that total family person. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Well, you're, you're in a different stage than I am. Also, when my kids were little, I, I kept things to a minimum. Yep. Uh, you know, and now that, that I have no kids at home, they're all grown. I make more room for my own creative passions, I guess. You know, they, 
they occupy a bigger place. But I think, oh, go ahead. Things to a minimum is that to me is such a great message, especially as parents. And we tend to always be this, this society of wanting to do things or buy things or, you know, get things, acquire things. And I think you're exactly right. The simplicity of the family, just having those quiet times, board games, watching TV, holding hands, playing. Even if they were in the other room, I was there, right? Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I think that to me is what, we need to get back to in this country. There's so much immediacy with cell phones in every child's hands and iPads. It's just getting back to just being with each other and being in each other's space. Just that alone is, is huge for the family. The children get so much out of it just being in your presence. And you can do your creative thing on the side. I certainly do that on my laptop sometime. But to see my child next to me, gives me a little bit of sense of comfort. I think this is a perfect time for you to uh, to share the story about um, your experience with your son. Because, of course, one thing that happens when you make that time is sometimes magic um, ensues. <laughs> Not every day, yeah. but every so, once in a while. And I feel that, I, I feel yeah. that experience you had with him uh, captures that. Would you share it? Yes, I certainly would. And was in the chapter of Have Faith in Spirituality. And I called it the epic tuck-in. The greatest part of my day is when I tuck my children in at night. Each of my sons requests it. Dad, can you snuggle me? How do you say no to that? For me, these quiet moments alone with each of my sons are so special. They are tired after a long day, as am I, and we just lie there and talk. Sometimes it's just nonsense. Sometimes there are very pointed questions. And sometimes there are epic, earth-shattering conversations I'm not quite ready for. Like when my nine-year-old son, Brock, asked me, what happens when you die, Dad? Have you ever tried to explain this to a child? My answer was based on my belief system. And I said, you go to heaven and you're there with the ones you love for all of eternity. What's eternity? Forever and ever, Brock. So you will see your grandpa who died? Yes, I will see Upa. He will be waiting there for me. So you will be waiting there for me when I die? A deep heart swallow and a long beat. Yes, boo, I will be waiting. Brock thought for a minute. There was total quiet. I knew there had to be more. How will you find me? God will lead me to you, Brock. Are you sure? Because it sounds like a pretty big place. And I don't want to get lost up there. I will be waiting for you with open arms and we will be with each other forever and ever. I looked into Brock's eyes. In that one singular moment, I may have never felt closer to another human being than that. That eye connection. He kept staring me. He now realized this, that life is temporary, that I will not be here forever. His eyes filled with tears, and seeing that, my eyes welled up too. I pulled him closer and we embraced. I will find you, I whispered. I could feel a calmness in his body. I could feel the love of his embrace and how this child loved every fiber of my being. 
After a long time, I kissed his cheek and I said, that won't be for a long time and let's make sure we love each other every day. That's what you tell a child to show them confidence and keep their mind from spinning, even when you're not sure as an adult. He smiled and said, I loved you, daddy. I love you, daddy. I love you a lot. Something he says each and every night to me as if to signify he feels more than just love for me. Love plus more. I went to bed, told my wife the story and cried. I cried a thousand more tears. It was one of the most intimate conversations I had ever had with another human being because it was so honest and real. That's why I love being a dad. It was epic and my faith and spirituality were my guide. You know, people talk a lot about be, kind of being careful about how you talk to kids about death. But I think that's a projection. I yeah. feel as if kids are really good at it, actually, unless they get the message that they shouldn't. Right. <laughs> and then it gets messed up. But <laughs> that's a perfect example. He is just so straightforward. He was curious. He wanted to know. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking of, of one of, of my oldest grandson, who's eight now. But when he was seven, he got very worried about death. And so um, my, my daughter and son-in-law are pretty comfortable talking with him about it, but they, they wanted me to Okay. To also because, you know, You're I don't know. Professional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, what we did was we had this conversation directly about um, the people in my life who died and the way in which they're part of my life. And I took out a picture of Joanne who died way before he was born and um, introduced him to her and said that the way I thought about it, you know, the people we've loved um, can be really helpful to us. And, you know, when it was a similar type of conversation. Yeah. And at least with me, he hasn't brought it up again. Interesting. It satisfied him. You yeah. know, I think they'll ask when they want something. Right. And when they get it, it's kind of over for now. Yep. You know, that's so the case. Yeah. we don't need to worry. Just, <laughs> just and and I think it's also perfectly fine to tell kids we don't know the answers. Right. But we have confidence. It's OK. You know, however, that however that um, because, you know, we all have so many different uh, belief systems. But there's there's a way to communicate those to kids, don't you think? Absolutely. And it's it you said it perfectly is what is your belief system and then share that with, you know, your child or the child. And I, I uh, spoke to a reporter who didn't have a Christian belief system. She but she explained it in the in the form of molecules and in more of a scientific thing. But the way she explained it to me was perfect. And I was like, you need to write this book because that's beautiful. <laughs> the way you just explained it to me and what a great opportunity to for a child to have an alternative um, way of thinking about it that wasn't Christian based. So that was very interesting to me. Um, All really. different sides of the same mountain, huh? Amen. <laughs> Whatever works. For sure. For sure. And, and, you know, I, I have some idea that since, um, since that's a 
part of the universe that's beyond our understanding, they all somehow fit together. Don't you imagine? <laughs> I, I, I got to believe it. I really do. I mean, that's the way I want to go through life. You know, the whole idea that there is a, a grander purpose. I know that there are so many different belief systems and so many people, some people just say we're just this suit and it's all over afterwards. And, you know, uh, I talked to my father about it and, you know, he's very practical and pragmatic and I, you know, part of me almost wishes, <laughs> wishes for something greater with him and for him. Like I want him to believe before he, you know, hey, we'll be together forever. And, you know, he's just you not know, when, when not we come makeup. When, yeah. when we come back from this next break, I'm going to tell you a story about when my mother died. I think you'll appreciate it. Oh, I, I look, <laughs> I'm looking forward Meantime, to listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, the Good Grief host page. And to find Chris and his work, you can go to chrismeyerauthor.com. Back yeah. soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Chris Meyer about what he learned in the funeral industry and and a book he wrote out of those experiences. And Chris, I promised you a story about my mother the the day she died. Um, So a little background, my parents, my dad was a minister. Um, However, I would say that my parents were sort of pragmatic Christians um, in the sense that my father once said, I'm a Christian because that's the dominant faith where I was born, (laughs) right? So he considered himself kind of an agnostic. My mom was a little more traditional, but still very pragmatic. So um, I don't know that she was really expecting heaven to be uh, the way it's described, particularly, you know, I don't know what she expected. So the day she died, my wife was talking to her and she said, 
um, I don't even know what, what my wife asked her, but she said, oh, look at all those angels on the ceiling, the little buggers, <laughs> which wasn't like her to say at all. Right. Um, so she, she had gotten taken by surprise that whatever, whatever it is beyond this, right. it was showing up. She knew that meant she was going soon. That was the main point, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, it was it was more uh, what she grew up with than what she had grown into to see angels on the ceiling and and kind of say, "Oh no, they're coming!" It's right. <laughs> time. Yeah. It really, we've laughed about that many times because yeah. she was the kind of person who didn't want you to say "darn" in her presence, right? Oh. <laughs> but her last day, she was saying. Um, you know, angels were little buggers. So yep. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, if you've been around that uh, people at the, at the, literally at the end of life, there are some strange things that sometimes happen. Oh, for sure. It for is sure. Um, quite inexplicable, <laughs> quite inexplicable. And it's, it's, it's powerful. There's some powerful stuff um, uh, to be, to be a caregiver. Um, I think, you know, we've probably both talked about that, whether it be a hospice worker or taking care of a loved one, um, to be there for that person in a time of need. There is truly not like no other um, to have uh, an impact on your life. It's so true. And I, and I noticed that the biggest thing people, one of the biggest things people worry about uh, when we contemplate our own end of life is being, being a burden, uh, being dependent and being a burden. Um, I mean, maybe that's, that. maybe that's, maybe that's true sometimes if the person who's caring for you resents it, but by and large, it's an act of love. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> a supreme act of love. I mean, it, and again, it, maybe it's not for everyone. And I, I certainly can understand that some people don't do it or can't do it. But um, I like in the experience with my grandfather that, man, I, I, I was with him, you know, when we'd have him over on Christmas Eve at toward the end of life and he would have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I'd have to take him there and show him where to go and what to do and how to do it. And, and, you know, I remember my, my brother saying to my mother, I, I, he was in the next room and he's like, I don't know how that kid is doing that. Who is that kid? You know, <laughs> where did that come from? And for me, it comes out of love and it who else would my grandfather have wanted there at that moment and he maybe was had the clouds of alzheimer's in his mind but i knew he needed me and i wanted to be there and i guess you know my uh, uh my brother just couldn't believe it because he was like where does this kid get some sort of calling to do this and I don't know that it was a calling. <laughs> you just, just felt you must. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, must. I hope you don't mind me disclosing that there's a long discussion in your book about your love of poop. 
Yeah. So maybe that helps a bit. <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, but we should go. <laughs> we should talk about that because that is uh, it is not a, just an overt love of poop. It is it is it is funeral related and how the effluent through our bodies and the flow through our bodies is so vital to our living. And, you know, we talk about this being a funeral book. It is anything but the funeral book, right? It is a life book. The funeral books by Kubler-Ross or Rabbi Kushner have all been written. They're legendary in our industry. I never wanted to write that book. I wanted to write the book that said, hey, here are the keys. Let's go live. Let's go live even better than we're currently living, knowing these these quintessential truths that we've been told by surviving families. So the, the love of poop, so to speak, is, is all about getting that fiber in our diet. And, you know, it is so vital. And I, I joke that I have stock in uh, Metamucil, the Procter & Gamble company, but uh, <laughs> it is so vital to living. And I'm, I push it on anyone who will listen. So I, I love that you, you called me out. <laughs> um, we're very comfortable well, with each other. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Uh, we're, in, a, in a way, we're talking about subjects that people don't like to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a whole little list of them. And that leads to people don't like to let let folks in on their, let, for instance, my mother, she had 24 hour caregivers. She did not want us to wipe her butt. I would have been happy to do it. Right. But she couldn't tolerate it. Interesting. And, uh, you know, avoided the the icky subjects her whole life on a certain level right so you know what we do in life matters in how we die too I'd, I'd say she had a good death because of the things that she was willing to talk about she was willing to talk about death right and you know uh my dad died first so that generated a lot more discussion uh than maybe would have been true if she died first but uh i do think and maybe that's the point of this show in part, um, what we're willing to explore and talk about um, matters. It helps us if we've thought about things in advance a little bit, right? Yeah, I think that's really true. And especially, I mean, you know, the, the, that's why things like the show are so great. The whole demystification of talking about that finality of our lives and that's why we want to write books like this to try to say hey let's share this stuff while we're here on earth and let's talk about it and it just seems so much more civilized and it it takes the pain away from what people families will feel at the end when you don't talk about it. I guarantee that it is the families that have talked and are well prepared and know what mom and dad wanted and they've articulated and they have a plan in place, both for their funeral, both for their memorial, all those things help because it's mm -hmm. like, then it becomes autopilot, right? I don't have to, oh my gosh, and go home. And how do you memorialize someone's life in a 25-minute memorial in a church to tell so that people don't get fidgety and want to leave. You know, <laughs> yes. Think about that, right? Yes, um, my, mother did, my, my mother did me that favor too. She was a planner. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that's what you want. Okay. I added one or two things because it is for the grievers. <laughs> but yeah, right. but right. but I I agree because people run themselves around in their heads so much wondering if they did the right thing. Right. And right. to know that you did the thing the person asked is such a blessing in grief. It, it's a huge blessing. It's it it and, really and it's, removes a whole level of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it also just moves removes controversy, right? Because yes, we're at this end of life, and it's it's tense for everyone, and everyone's trying to figure out. Oh my gosh, you know, woe is me, woe is me. How does this impact me? What is going to become of our family? And, that, mm -hmm. and it, it 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 takes that stress out of it, and. It is so needed. Of course, you know, I say that and then I have parents, one parent very definitively, I'm bury me right here. This is where I want to be. And then my mom changes, you know, depending on which six months you talk to her that <laughs> sprinkle me at the top of a favorite mountain and another so, <laughs> at the ocean and another piece with my father. And it's like, at hey, least, I'm you know, then they, they didn't even know. So how can you get it wrong? Right. You know, before we go, we're almost out of time. Yeah. Let's, let's end with your, your, um little letter to your boys at the end yeah of so this is the real reason why i wrote the book right i want my 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 sons i have three sons to have something in perpetuity um for them and, and i hope we'll get all the way through if we run out of time i might have to break in but um okay let's go I'll, for it <laughs> i'll go for it for my boys my greatest joy the only thing i have ever truly wanted to be my true and complete happiness is being your dad. Just know this forever and ever. I fear nothing, I have you. I am living the greatest life anyone could ask for being your dad. I have gotten to coach every single one of you in all kinds of sports, been to every performance at school, made every open house, and loved every moment of it. I have won with you and we have lost together some truly tremendous wins and some really crushing defeats. In many ways, this is a microcosm of life, and now you are prepared. Life doesn't always go your way. Love and family are the answer. With those two, all else falls in line. Sure, you need to work, but I implore you to do something that you love that fits your lifestyle. Never forsake your family for a job. No money, no accolades, no possessions are worth that. Not in this lifetime, not in any lifetime. And that's hard to understand starting out because the media and society tell us differently. Don't listen. Do not listen. I know by now you know you are all the greatest loves of my life. I know you do. I would give you my last breath to be with you forever. And we will be with each other forever and ever. I am certain of that, supremely certain. You can take that to the bank. When our time is done, I promise you there is a greater place, so great we cannot fathom its greatness, in a far better place, and this place is already pretty awesome. You come from great people. Your grandparents on both sides are tremendous human beings, generous, giving, kind, loving, and all about family. They too believe in a higher power. This will help you in life. You come from a solid foundation, and you will build on what they have already given us, memory bick by memory brick and a shit ton of love that is a great place to end for the day thanks for Perfect. being with me 
And you can go to chrismeyerauthor.com to find out more. Next week, I'll have Marie Alessi. Her book, Loving Life After Loss, tells the story of how she found joy in her life after her husband, the father of her children, died from a brain aneurysm. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. (laughs) 